Over in my office, <clears throat> I keep about the oldest dictionary I can find. I can't quite remember how old it is. I know online I can get one that's in the 1800s, and I, and I do that because as time goes on, things seem to change, and they play a lot with our words. They change the definitions uh, of our words. And, uh, of course, if you're born a lot younger than me, you might think those are the de- definitions of those words, but they're, they're not. They've been changed. And it also happens in, in uh, things of God. The various things, certain words just seem to to lose its uh, purpose. And to me, our our modern day concept of ministry is so tainted and corrupt and incorrect. Ministry. I'm in the ministry. Nowadays, we think of the ministry of only as a, a career. In fact, years and years ago, when my children were at ZHS. They were doing a career day, and they asked me to come in and represent the ministry as a career, along with bankers and businessmen and all different sorts of people. So nowadays, we think of ministry only as a career or an ordained licensed man or woman who can marry and bury. You know that's true because when you talk to somebody and someone will say to you, well, I'm in the ministry. So that creates something in your head. We pastor churches and we build and maintain buildings. We think of a ministry as someone who goes to a seminary or a Bible college or some denomination or some organization ordains and licenses. That individual, then we say he or she is uh, in the ministry. Well, this is not a biblical concept at all. Not at all. No human being, no bishop, no denomination, no piece of paper can put you in the ministry. Paul speaks of a ministry that every born-again believer listening to me tonight is called to. That doesn't leave any of you out. See, we we like to leave ourselves out when we think of the ministry. And you kind of sit there and you just kind of grunt or point or say, that's your job. It's a calling that every born-again believer has been called to undertake. So that's you, unless you're not born again. Philippians 3 in the New Living Translation simply states this. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Jesus Christ has possessed me. First possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. That word calling there means inviting. It's an invitation to all. It is our first calling. It's a ministry out of which all Other godly endeavors are birthed. Everything God has 
prepared for you to do, that He wants to put on your plate. This is the first calling for all that to work. And it's called the ministry of beholding the face of Christ. Which we've gotten away from. Because we're busy. We just sang a song there in worship before Audrey came. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Well, you think that's true? You know it's spiritually true, but is it practically true for you and me? Where are most of your days spent? Better is one day in your courts. Makes a wonderful song. It does. You hear what that's? Better is one day, God. One day in your courts than a thousand other days somewhere else. See, we've lost that. We get whipped up like a racehorse or like a circus horse, running in circles. Whipped up to a sweat, running around doing all sorts of various things. I'm not even talking about senseless dumb things, just things, stuff. When Saul was chosen to be king, He didn't start out as a loser. I mean, he was prophesying. God gave him a brand new heart when he turned away. He ended up committing suicide. But when they were having their big day, their big moment to introduce the king, the new king, they couldn't find him. Remember the story? They had to inquire of the Lord, where is he? Now, how would you possibly be late for that day? Where you're going to be ordained king of Israel. Everybody's waiting for you. And the Bible says he was hiding in the stuff. Stuff. Your first ministry is to be in the presence of Almighty God. Beholding his face. Sitting in his presence. Saturated with the presence and wisdom and knowledge and mercy of God. And we run past that door. Even if it's to teach VBS, Sunday school, preach a message, sing a song. We fly past that door. Don't even realize there's a door there. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. But uh, we all, not some, <clears throat> we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. What are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. And when you behold the glory of the Lord, you're changed. You run past that door, quoting a few scriptures or singing a song, you're not changed. You behold the presence of God, the glory of the Lord, you are changed into the same image. From glory to glory. How? Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As you behold. Take time. And sit in the presence of God. Do you understand? This would solve all your issues. 
All of them. I'm not saying your issues are going to stop. I'm going to say you're going to receive that which you need to handle all these issues. Now look, that word beholding means this. It means fixing the gaze. I'm fixing my gaze on Jerry Kimple right now. Fixing them. Zeroing in on him. That's what it means. Beholding. Fixing the gaze. Luke 10, 38 says this. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she should help me. Cumbered about simply means to be drawn away. It means to be distracted. And she invited the Lord into her house. He's right there. Yet she's distracted. Cumbered about. And look, and the Lord says, And Jesus answers then unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful or worried and troubled about many things, which you and I get. We get troubled and worried about a ton of stuff. Whether your job will be there the next day, whether your health is failing, whether the nation is ever going to wake up or respond, this dumb election that we're racing towards. I mean, you could be worried about so many things. 42, he says, but one thing is needful. Network, this is for you. One thing is needful. It's a necessity. One thing is essential. Is what God is saying to you and I. As we barrel headlong into the last days and chaos that's hitting our streets. One thing is needful or necessity or essential. And Mary has chosen that good part. So the question is, what? What good part? Well, let's just simply go back. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She took time to behold him, to understand him, to fix her eyes on him, to learn about him. And the Lord said, she chose the good part. Yeah, we do. We need an army to do VBS. The only way that will work and function beautifully and perfectly is if that army first goes and gets a hold of Almighty God. What VBS is all supposed to be about. Other than that, it just comes a little children's program. So this story about Mary and Martha kind of reveals three types of proclaimed followers. Which you fall in one of these. There are people like Mary. Those who know how to serve and also sit at the Lord's feet. 
Behold him. Been in this long enough, and people tell me something like that, and I just kind of scratch my head and figure, what, why, what on earth would you ever do that for? And the answer is because we aren't spending time beholding and getting in the presence of God where he could lay his finger on you when it needs to be. And it always needs to be. Because that's the kind of way we are. We just are. And that's one reason why we probably run past that room. Because we don't want to have that finger put on us. Like that's going to change something. Then there are people like Martha. Those who diligently and with the best intention serve God, which I believe is the majority of maybe our church. But without adding the one thing, a continued focus on the Lord. And the result is great frustration can happen to you. Trying to do the work of God without the blessings and the presence of God is insane. Let's all get up and run into the wall. It's true. You must get in the presence of God. You must behold Him, not pass by. If I zero in on somebody, then I can start making things out about them. His eyes are brown. He's got a gray beard. Whatever, I can start fixing my eyes. And you start learning about things of God and His mercy and His grace. And His probing and the Spirit of God and the power. And the conviction. Outside of that, you just drive by. You're passing by. I have lots of times, I get tons of calls from the hospital, from various situations, funerals, whatever. On folks that have called this their church. And I have no clue who they are. None None whatsoever. Then there are these people. They're not really doing either. They're just not. They are not even in the house with the Lord. They're too busy with their own pursuits. So we're somewhere you fall in this category. Mary, Martha, or just the one that's way too busy. The psalmist now, the psalmist says this, One thing have I desired of the Lord. It's very easy to nod our head yes to the scripture because you know it's scripture it's on the screen it's on your lap you know it's true it's in the word but it's got to get in our heart in our heart one day in your courts way better than a thousand elsewhere one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. I mean, when she was singing that song and as it builds and you're thinking, man, face to face, I'm going to see him. You almost wish it would happen right then and there. But see, that is a prophetic coming song that's going to happen but you can have these beholding experiences now right now where you need them this is where we need them kind of like how they were talking this morning how do you raise your children what decisions you make what do you do you got to get in the presence of almighty god it it's insane how we 
live. In fact, we're, it impresses me how far we seem to get without the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 3.17 again says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Which simply means true liberty is living as we should, not as we please. True liberty, as we should, not as we please. That's what that means. The Lord is that spirit. And you have to sit and behold and fix your gaze And it can be done anywhere, really, at any time. I told you not that long ago, I was pushing Addison up and down the street once when it was warm. And as I was pushing her, and she sort of drifted off to sleep. I'm just saying, Lord, what would you have me do? I'm walking by all these homes, God, that they don't want to know about you. They don't want to hear. What can I do? Verse 18 says this again, but we all with open face beholding, fixing that gaze as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Man, you've got to get in the presence of God in order to change. And you need changed. In case you don't think so, I'm telling you do. In fact, if you really don't think you need changed, you really need changed. Isn't that true? Isn't us? That's what we do great is drift backwards all the time. You've got to stay in the presence of God because, you know, you're going to come under the heat as our nation continues to melt away. And all your little positions and jobs and everything's going to be getting uglier and different. Fixing the gaze on the glory of the Lord, we can be changed into that image. To spend quality time in the presence of the Lord. That's beholding Him. Fixing your gaze. Something we kind of forget to do because you... Run to do this, you run to do that, you run to go there, you run to buy this and fix that. And and we're missing out on the very source of all our life. The very answers to all our problems. You cannot fix your gaze on him and not be changed. It's totally impossible. It's impossible. That's all you have to do. went to the psych ward as long as our church is old, which is like 26 years. And all they've had to do, I'm not minimizing, I'm not saying that's silly, no, we lose it. All you have to do is fix your gaze on the Lord. And things, everything that's out of and chaos and out of control will start to come in control. We do not realize the blessing of having the presence of God on our lives. 
you think you've maintained your life and your family and you've done pretty good, that's the hand of God on your life that has kept things from going chaotic and crazy. Divine order comes from God. No person. None whatsoever. Exodus 34 simply states this. It's absolutely impossible. It's just impossible. Do you understand that Ruth and I, we're married, so we talk. And we'll just say, or she'll come up to me, and she'll go, you know, so-and-so just doesn't look good to me. Now, we're not talking about weight, looks. We're talking about spiritual countenance. So what I'm, I'm saying to you tonight, if you don't change for the good, you will change. You are changing this very moment. Whatever you behold, whatever consumes your efforts and time changes you. It does. Exodus 34, 28. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And he did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables, tables all the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in, in Moses' hands. When he came down from the mount, Moses knew not that his skin of his face shone while he talked with them. He was in the presence of God. He was fixing his gaze. I, I don't know how. What was that last commandment? Or say that again? Thou shalt. He was into it. He didn't know. He was just in the presence of God. And at times, you don't know. But we can see life in people. And we can see death. We don't always get it, always catch it. But you can you can tell when someone is beholding the face of God, and you can tell when someone is not. The sad thing is, just like Moses didn't know his face was shining, most of the time we don't know when we're losing it. If you are not fixing your gaze, look at me. You're losing it. There's no other direction for you to go. In other words, we have to get back to what we were called to do. This is your first calling. And then in that, when you're beholding his face or crying out and saying, God, what can I do? He'll drop things in your path or heart. And you'll come up with a thought or a message or a song or whatever. He does, but if you're not in it, you're on your own. You are called as a born-again believer to behold the presence of God and change from glory to glory. That alone should make your countenance change. Just like Moses. 
This close communion with God physically affected Moses, and it affects you. And we can see it. Lots of times, we just said it's going to be a matter of time. It's a matter of time until we hit the wall. His face had a shining appearance that was so noticeable that the people were afraid to come near him. So in other words, it's not just a passing glance or attending church. It's not. It's beholding him. It's having him get in and really be that personal savior that's supposed to have started this walk. He's become your personal savior as he waits to communicate with you. And you can behold his goodness, his richness, his wisdom and his understanding. And when I pray for people for wisdom and understanding, I always make sure they hear me say, I'm not talking about earthly wisdom. I'm talking about heavenly wisdom that comes from God, that flies in the face of earthly wisdom. You got to get that beholding his presence. Daniel said this, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. There has to be times in our lives where you just say, I set my face. I didn't talk to my son every time he gets a chance to preach once a month in the morning. I never talked to him. I don't want to sway him. I don't want to put nothing in him. I never ask him what he's preaching on. Nothing ever. And yet today as he's going on, I'm thinking, jeez. We're kind of on the same path. I set my face. Daniel was in a hard time. He was in the Word of God, beholding the glory of God. He read stuff about the captivity, and it should be coming to an end. So Daniel said, I set my face. I fixed my gaze to hear from my God. And God spoke to him. He'll do that for the salvation of a nation or a salvation of a wayward son that you don't know what to do with as you set and fix your gaze on God. But we don't do that. That's your ministry. That's your very first calling. You see, when we say ministry, you just think it has to do with me. You're paid by the church, you're in the ministry. This setting my face implies determination in prayer, and that's what we lack. He had an objective to achieve in his prayer. I've got to know. So I'm going to set my face, fix my gaze, and behold him. This is the way we should have started out. This scripture has... Stirred me all my life. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, if we're not having much availeth, then we need to throw the thing in reverse. The effectual, fervent prayer. Now, we know that only the way this flesh can be made righteous is by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So when I apply the blood and ask God to forgive me in my sin, and God the Father looks at me through the blood of His Son, He declares that I am righteous. So that part lines up. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. We don't have the fervent down very good. We don't go at it like one day in your house is worth a thousand more than anywhere else. I would challenge anybody that says, no, that's the way I live. I don't see that in us American Christians. It might be in those who are crawling through the weeds and on their belly for the sake to go to church and meet somewhere. I don't see that for us. And I, and I know that, I, that we're called here to America. But if they have to behold his face, whether it's crawling on their belly, or we have to behold his face, whether it's walking into our nice home and getting somewhere, we need to do it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, says the word of God. So we're having these studies now on Wednesday night considering, uh, concerning the war room. That's why all these chairs are left out because the guys just meet right here and the ladies over there. And my whole time praying and walking around, I was like, Lord, this can't be another just dumb study with a book. Something actually has to happen to us. Actually has to happen. Something supernatural. God, something has to happen. I say that all the time with God. When I'm pushing the baby on the street, or when I'm in my own little prayer closet, or I'm disgusted with myself, shaving my dumb face again. Lord, something has to happen. Something supernatural. For us to truly get this as a church. War room. War room. Bloody battleground. Fighting for souls. Okay, here's simply the point. You are beholding something. Something. You are. I mean, you can just see it sometimes in our community. John Glenn wins the state championship. You see, that's it's everywhere. It's on signs. Can't buy a pizza without it. I mean, it's it's just all over the place. Well, they were beholding that whole journey. And that was the fruits of it. You could see it everywhere. You are beholding something. It could be work. Some of you work like you wouldn't be able to know how to breathe if you didn't. Some of it's your children. Your child's going to be the next so-and-so. Well, most likely they're not. And usually the so-and-sos that they become don't serve God, so why would you want that? 
behold sports. For sure. You behold something in your life. And whatever that is, it changes you. It does. Even good things. Throughout my 40 plus years of being saved, I have oodles of, uh, well, there were cassette tapes, hard to play them nowadays, but, and I would listen to them a lot. And they weren't rock and roll. They weren't the oldies back when I was young. They were good, solid men who'd preached the word of God. It pierced my heart. But sometimes it seems like I would play them too often. And I would feel God say, okay, that's enough. That can't take the place of me. Even though they're declaring and talking about him, it can't take the place of me pushing the curtain and going into the presence of God myself. Good tapes, CDs, whatever you've got, fine. But it does not take the place. When you come here, you should be bringing that presence of God here with you. The glory, listen, I'm I'm guaranteeing this. The glory of the Lord will manifest himself to you if you spend time. He will. He will manifest himself somehow, some way, through the word, through a message. I don't know how, I'm not going to declare how. All I know is that he will do it. When you spend time alone with God, the glory of the Lord will start to be manifested. You'll have a different look of God and a different look of yourself when you get alone with God. John 14, 21 simply says this, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Most of you probably know Jerry Kemple was here. But if I fixed my gaze on him, I could tell you what he's wearing, his sweatshirt, the color of his eyes. See, it's the difference of just kind of, I love the Lord, but you really, I love Jerry Kemple. Well, did you see him tonight? Well, you talked about him, so I know he was there. Well, I'm talking about God, so you know he's here. But that, we've got to, that, man, God says, I, that word manifest means to show oneself, to come to view. It means to appear. The men surprised me the other day. Because first of all, I didn't order the men hardly any books. I think I ordered eight. Because I'm thinking, eh, men ain't going to want books. Ruth is saying, I need 78. 
Okay, well, we sent a list around, and it was like, man, 50 guys wanted books. I was like, ooh, that's impressive. I didn't really believe that uh, they would want books. And so we set up tables. I think we had four tables with like 11 guys at each table, which was pretty impressive. 42, 43, four guys come out of <coughs> 50 that wanted books. That's And so we got teachers designated each table, and I kind of just walk and eavesdrop at this one and kind of eavesdrop at that one and speak up sometimes, but not much. And it was impressive, man. They were just talking away, which I was glad to hear. And then 8.30 came, and we kind of wind it down, stopped. Each table did their little prayer thing, and that was it. And after it was over, I was thinking, man, God, that's dumb. It's a dumb way to end. We got If we're talking about a war room, and look, those of you who go to this study, we're not talking about your problems, your issues. We're talking about creating a war room that you can deal with those problems and issues. So I told our leaders, you know what? We're going to quit at quarter after. And then from quarter after to at least 8.30, we're going to kill the lights and we're going to hit the altar and cry out to God. We're going to try to make our own war room together and cry out to God. And I'm going to tell them, you're not here to talk to Bill and Bill's not here to talk to Bob. We're here to cry out to God and see if God will do something supernatural with these bunch of lump of clays that we are. To give God opportunity. Take time. We read the book. We talked about him. Now let's spend time in his presence trying to behold him. God, do something with me. You've got to change me, Lord. Something has to happen in my life that you change me. Or I'm just another guy who will spend a thousand days somewhere else in one day in your court. But Lord, if you change me in the presence of God, something supernatural, even if I don't see it, it's not something you run to the mirror and see if you're changing. Moses didn't even know he was changing in the presence of God, but if you do, you'll change in the presence of most holy God. And here's another thing. The more you see and realize how awesome God is, the more you'll see and realize how blind you've been. You will. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Do you understand what I'm saying about that? The more you go in, What's the, I don't can't remember the scripture, but it's in there. It says, we see light in his light. In his light when we see light. In his presence, in beholding him and asking him, Lord, go through my heart, God. Do what you've got to do, Lord. And you'll start to see how wretched and blind you are. And how holy and awesome he is. And he'll start his work with you. Or you can just attend church like America's been doing for a long time. When trials, I'll kind of end with this. Thomas, I think you're going to lead us into a closing worship song. When trials come our way, and look, they will. 
You're either in one, just left one, or just going to start one. That's just kind of the way it is with life. It just is. In fact, usually when everything is at ease, it's probably the most dangerous time for you. Because we kick back and don't count on God. But listen to this, please. This comes from 40-some years of experience. When trials come upon us, I have seen some of the most fragile, frail, timid people become like the rock of Gibraltar. Because they run to God. Run to him. I'm figuring my ministry is going to be sweeping them up off the floor. They are so pulverized and splattered all over the place. And yet something happens to them that cannot be denied, that screams, I'm spending time with God. And there becomes a firmness and a solidness in them, even when everything around them is chaotic. The reason for altar calls, the whole reason for that is, is to give you that opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I'm coming to meet you. I'm coming to talk to you right now, to come to this altar, to see your feet walking out in front of you, going to an altar to say, God, I need your help. We shall behold him, like the song said, and it's going to be better than we ever thought or dreamt that it could be face to face. But today, I need answers. Today, I need strength. Today, I need wisdom. Pushing that little baby card. I'm saying, Lord, what? It's crazy the, the day and age we live in, Lord. You've got to do something in me. You've got to do something that is beyond me, Lord, that I can stand in the midst of what I see coming our way. This is your opportunity to be ready, to be prepared, to become that rock of Gibraltar, to stand when all else are falling. It's the presence of God. It's beholding his glory. It's only going to work.